0: It's good to see you this morning. If I haven't a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown Church, and uh, so glad that you're joining us this morning as we continue a series that we've been in for a little while. In the book of John, we've kind of been in and out of this series over the course of a year, and uh, we picked back up last week and started in John 8, and we're the hope was to like wrap out John this way. We were just going to do these short series of different parts of John, and then uh, fit, I'll go all the way through the book. But this merger is kind of thrown a wrinkle into that to a degree. And so unfortunately, we're, we're going to not be able to, at least in the uh, immediate future, finish the book of John. And so I made an executive decision. I guess as a pastor, I can make decisions like this every once in a while, uh, where I, uh, instead of uh, just continuing in John and like picking up where we left off last week. I decided the next three weeks we're just gonna, pre- I'm gonna get to preach through. Three of my personal favorite passages and the rest of the book of John, and so uh, there's just so much good stuff in this book. It was really hard to pick what passages we would look at, but I made a decision. We're gonna, we're going to look at John chapter 13 today, verses one through 17. And so, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there if you like. Or if you don't, then uh, you can follow along on the slides, and that's great as well. But let me just say, the purpose of the reason that we're in this series is for us to be able to study the life of Jesus as given to us by the account of John, Jesus' closest, most beloved. Love disciple, the, 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 the disciple that actually named himself the one that Jesus loves. Like, that's how he refers to himself in his own written account of Jesus' life, which is just hilarious. I think that's so funny. But he was like incredibly close to Jesus, saw Jesus' life, lay down in front of him, and of course, believed that Jesus was who he said he was, that he rose again. And John gives his whole life to follow Jesus. And so he, and he writes this account, first-hand account of Jesus' life. And he says, he tells us near the end of the book of John, in verse... Verse 20, he says, I have written these things that you can believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's done this, that you would have faith in him. And so we're looking at this book so that we can grow in our understanding. And I think what follows that is growing in our love for Jesus, and we can trust him more, and then we can also see who he is and what he's done for us, so and move us to want to live like him, to follow him to arrange our lives around him. So that's the purpose of of why we're in the book of John. And I'll just go ahead and jump into this uh, really great passage this morning, uh, starting in John, like I said, uh, chapter 13. And uh, if I can get to it, and we'll go, I'll read all the way through verse 17. So should have probably put a bookmark in here, but here we go. John 13 says this, Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, rose from supper. And he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin And he began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12 says, when he had washed their feet, put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Uh-huh. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. For I have given you an example that you, uh, that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. All right, let me pray. Father, uh, thank you for... I thank you for your word. Thank you uh, for the uh, testimony of of, uh, John here that we get to see what Jesus was doing on the night that he was going to be betrayed. The day before he would be crucified. Lord, that Jesus would serve in this way is absolutely astounding. And God, I just ask that as we look at this passage and we, we, we see that this is what you, God, our God is like. Lord, it would dawn on us. Or it would click. It, it, this, if it's familiar to us, would not ring hollow. If this is unfamiliar, that it would, uh, Lord, ring true, and Lord, that we would see this and we would f- like feel your love for us, and it would it would move us uh, as it should. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, friends. So here's where we're going to go with this passage. Uh, th- three points for the message. Uh, uh, first. The, just the uh, called the the model of true greatness, the model of true greatness, and then the the, the life changing power of his greatness, and then the call to uh, greatness. So that's kind of where we're going. So calling this message the great life, not just the good life here, but the the great life. How to have the great life, and uh, it's a, it's a um, it's really a pretty amazing passage, isn't it? Like I said in the prayer, I don't know if you caught on to that, but like. What really gets me here is uh, not just that Jesus would wash his disciples' feet. Um, I think maybe even just the idea of that loses a little bit of its meaning in our culture. That just kind of feels weird. It doesn't necessarily carry the same meaning that it did for them at that time. But certainly we can see that as an act of service. But to me, the, the big deal isn't just that he would serve his disciples in this way, but it's the like the timing of it all. Like John chapter 13, I told you I was skipping ahead. I skipped ahead to John 13 because John 13 through John 18, if you're not familiar with the book of John, it's helpful to know that those five chapters all take place, uh, record what Jesus did the night that he was betrayed. Like the day before he's crucified, we get like this beautiful picture, five chapters of what Jesus was up to in this time, this long dialogue that he's having with his disciples during their passover meal so we we celebrate communion we celebrate the lord's supper we're going to do that today at the end of the service if you ever wondered like what in the world were they talking about (laughs) like read john 13 through 18 you get to see all that they were talking about you get to see all the stuff that that jesus was doing in this conversation with his disciples and guys this is how it begins and i think that's just amazing that jesus was serving this way at this time right before he was about to serve in the greatest way to lay down his life for his disciples but even more than that to lay down his life for all of us that he he uh he models this incredible greatness for us in fact this is what why i'm talking about greatness is that it's interesting is that in this uh you know john doesn't give us a full conversation here but um If you read uh, the rest of John 13, you'll see that they move beyond this into actually taking the Passover meal together. And in the book of Luke, in chapter 22 of Luke, you get more context of what was going on while they were taking this meal together. And one of the things that you see in Luke 22, as they're taking like this same time, same meal, that while they're doing this, Jesus' disciples break into a fight (laughs) Like, they begin fighting with each other, bickering with each other, and what they're fighting about is which one of them is greater, or which one of them will, if you will, have have the highest cabinet seat when Jesus takes office, right? Like, they're arguing about who's going to get to sit at his right hand, and who's going to have the most authority, most power, and all this stuff, and they've bought into, I mean, clearly have bought into the world's definition of greatness, that greatness is to have, you know, to, to be high and have people serve you, to people to be looking up to you, and like, that's all the whole, whole thing like let me have the corner office with all the windows right and like that's what they're arguing about who gets to be the greatest when Jesus takes office because if you remember again in context Jesus has entered Jerusalem and like a week prior like they've been you know lots of people met Jesus at the city gates with the palm trees and Hosanna Hosanna and they're like they like Jesus and the disciples are thinking like Jesus is here in Jerusalem to take power he's going to get rid of all the Roman opposition and he's going to like become king and like so this is what they're excited about they know something big's about to happen now jesus has told them multiple times that the big thing that's going to happen is that he's going to die for the sins of the world and that he's going to rise again three days or on the third day but they just like it just goes over their head every single time jesus tells them that so they they're not cluing in they just know something big's going to happen and they think it's going to be that he's going to be king like he's going to set up power and so they're again they're arguing on this night in front of jesus who gets to be the greatest when jesus comes to power and what's like the irony of that is just completely lost on them, right? I mean, here they are. They're standing before the greatest servant, but also the greatest, period, person of all time. And in Jesus, what you see is that the path to greatness is, isn't about trying to get others to serve you. It's, it's him coming to serve others. That the path to greatness isn't up, but it's down. That he's going to be ascend on high by descending to the lowest depths. That in Jesus' kingdom, everything's upside down. (laughs) That they don't get it in front of the greatest servant of all time, who is also the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our God, our creator. That he had come and stooped low to serve, which is the absolute picture of greatness. And yet they are like, okay, no, no, I want the corner office with all the windows. And Jesus is trying to model to them. Greatness. So they have this argument according to what they think is great. And Jesus says, hey, hey, hey. Luke chapter 22, he just butts in and says, guys, you got it all wrong. In fact, in Luke 22, he says it this way. He, verse 27 says, as Jesus speaking, he says, for who is the greater? Uh, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? I mean, that's, that seems like it's the seat of honor. So what he's talking about, and it's like everyone would be like, yeah, it's the one that sits at the honor, not the one who's serving. But then Jesus says, but I am among you as the one who serves. And the word serves that he uses here in this passage is a, is a, is a word that really speaks of the most menial and most humble of all kinds of service. That Jesus is basically saying, hey, who's greater, the one who sits in the corner table and uh, at Uchi or the busboy, right? Who, who's the one who is?" The greater. We would say, well, man, it's the person that's chilling, getting all that great food. And Jesus says, no, no, it's the busboy. I'm here. I'm walking in the shoes of. I've come to be among you as the busboy. This is what he's teaching them in Luke 22. In John 13, you see what follows is that he then demonstrates to them what he was saying. So Luke 22, he says this. In John 13, he models this. And I don't know exactly how it played out because we don't exactly know. We just know that at this dinner, you have the conversation in Luke 22. And then at this same dinner, you have Jesus getting down and washing the disciples' feet. And I don't know for sure, but it certainly makes sense to me that he says this. And then he gets up and he takes off his outer garment. He's got the towel wrapped around him. He fills a water basin with water. And he starts walking to his disciples and he kneels down before them. He begins to wash their feet. He says, I'm among you as the one who serves. And then he dem- demonstrates it. As a true model, friends, as a true model of greatness. And that um environment, and again, I know some of this is kinda of lost on us because of, you know, washing our feet like we don't we're not used to what life was like for them and you know, turn of the century there. But um it was really it was really disgusting. And you know, but what's, in, like, what's really interesting, it of like me trying to describe the stuff that they have been walking in and all that stuff. It's, it's helpful to know that there were actually laws about how, like, who you could ask to wash your feet. And the law was that you could only ask slaves to wash your feet. That was the only person you could demand to wash your feet. And yet, just to show how far this goes, is that there were some Roman municipalities at that point in time that had also outlawed even asking slaves to wash your feet. So this was like a, it's like the, the, it's lower than what many slaves were asked to do. And Jesus models service here and he's doing so models what he says true greatness is by, by taking the position of a slave of slaves, That's lower than a slave. It's pretty amazing. Again, friends, like, this is God. Like, don't let that be lost on you. This is the God of the universe. He's come kneeling, washing his disciples' feet on the day before he's going to be crucified. Like, is that not crazy to you? I mean, that is just like all week long I've been thinking about that and just like, that's like I can't make this stuff up. You don't make that up. I mean, you're going to make up Jesus dying on the cross, so you don't also add to it, oh, and then he washed the disciples' feet the day before. I mean, it's just like, this is like service upon service. I mean, this is just amazing. This is, like, it's it's hard to comprehend. This, friends, is what our God is like. Oh, my goodness. In doing this, Jesus is showing them, like, friends, like, this is what my whole life is about. Like, let me, let me do something that demonstrates what I'm about to do. He, this act of service, and I'll get into it a little bit more in a second, but it's an act of foreshadowing of what he's about to do for everybody. But it's also in the last day of his life, full day of his life before he's crucified the next day, he's also a summary of what his whole life has been about up to this point in time, right? Like he's saying, this is, this is what I'm about. I've come to love. I've come to serve. And also, you'll see it in a second, when he calls others to love and serve, he's saying this is true, this is also what your whole life is supposed to be about. That this sums up what I'm about, this also should sum up what you're about. And So here you have the creator of the universe telling us what we were created to do, what we were created to be like, how we are supposed to live, what our life is supposed to be like. He says, okay, I'm your model. I'm the model of true greatness. This is what's to sum up our life. We serve each other. And Jesus' service, this act of love, is absolutely amazing. It's voluntary. It's voluntary, right? Like, no one made Jesus wash their feet. It's not like someone was like, all right, Jesus, your turn. (laughs) You know, it's your turn to get around and wash your feet. No, no, Jesus is at the seat of honor at the table. And he gets up and walks down and washes their feet, volunteering, voluntarily. I mean, it's amazing, right? That's what it looks like. That's greatness. And Jesus is saying, like, this is what my life has been about. And friends, this is what your life is supposed to be about. This is what has characterized my life, Jesus says. This is what is to characterize your life as my followers. This is what you were designed to do as my creation. This is how humankind was supposed to always interact with each other. I'm modeling it for you. Follow me in that. In fact, he goes on, and later on in this passage, I didn't read all the way down to it, but in verses 34 and 35, he makes it very clear. He just says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Another. And here, Jesus is modeling what he means by love. Like, if you want to understand what Jesus means when Jesus says something, then you just simply need to look at what Jesus does. If you understand, what does Jesus mean when he says that? Then look at what Jesus does. Let what he does define what he means when he says this. And so when he says love one another in context of washing his disciples' feet on the night that he's going to be betrayed, on the day before he's going to be crucified, what he means by love, friends, is not just some simple emotional feeling which is so shallow that we define love by that so often in our culture. That is not at all what Jesus means. What does he mean when he says we should love as he's loved? That this is his new commandment, like this is the commandment that will define us by his followers. What in the world does he mean when he says we should love one another? He's talking At least he's talking about this, a voluntary, intentional decision to place another ahead of yourself. A voluntary, intentional decision to place another ahead of yourself or a voluntary decision to serve another or to serve others. At least that's what he means. Because that is what we see him doing so clearly here, isn't it? He volunteered volunteered to wash their feet, to place their needs ahead of his own. He volunteered to go to the cross. In John, we skipped over it, but earlier in John, he says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down in my own accord. It's the voluntary nature of our God to serve us. He volunteers to serve us to this degree. And guys, that's love to put our needs ahead of his. Incredible. It's incredible, isn't it? You follow? Like, is that not incredible? You guys are dead. Like, I'm talking about God of the universe. This is what he's like. Like, this is Amazing. Okay. Like I said earlier, that not only is this like the model of his greatness, a picture of his greatness, but it's also what you see through his greatness is, is like what he's or through this act of service is a foreshadowing of what he's about to do. And it's in this foreshadowing of what his picture what's about to happen on the cross that we see also the power of his life of the life changing power of his greatness. Okay? The life-changing power of his greatness. So look back at me in verse, with ver, at verse 3, and what you'll see is what was on Jesus' mind as he's getting ready to do this act of service. It says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around the waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. So like, did you catch it in verse 3? Like, What was he thinking about? What was he thinking about when he got up to do this? Well, he, he was thinking about his mission, wasn't he? He was thinking about how the father had entr- what the father had entrusted to him. He's thinking about what the father had sent him to go do, that he had come from the father, he had come down from God, and that he knew he was going to return soon to God, and that in the min- meanwhile he's saying, okay, this is what I've been tasked by God, or I've volunteered to do, This is my mission. I was thinking about his mission and how he had purposely come down. And Jesus had come down in two ways, hadn't he? He had come down in this sense, that uh, he being fully God, had taken on human flesh. That he had uh, not held on to the privileges of deity, as Philippians 2 talks about, that he had humbled himself. Become a man. That he, uh, as we sing every Christmas, you know, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see held the incarnate deity pleases man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. He had come down; God had become man. Absolutely amazing. But he had come down to even a lower step than that, hadn't he? Because he hadn't just come as a man, but as a like a, a key leader that was going to lead his political party into victory, and everybody was going to praise his name or have to serve him as a man. But no, instead he, he'd come not just as a man, but as a, as a servant, a servant of all, servant of all mankind. That he lowered himself even lower than us. Because he lowered us, lowered himself to be servants of all of us, didn't he? Again, friends, we are talking about the God of the universe here. I mean, it's absolutely, it's absolutely amazing, is it not? He lowered himself to be a servant of all of us by uh, willingly volunteering to die on our behalf. To go to the cross, to be tortured, to be beaten, to be crucified. That he volunteered to be forsaken by the Father in whom he had, had perfect community with for all of eternity but on the cross shouts out my God my God why have you forsaken me he volunteered for that to be forsaken by the father that we my friends we could be forgiven this is his service he dies that we could be clean made clean wiped clean of our sin of our guilt of our shame and in this picture in John 13 is Jesus foreshadowing what He's about to do on the cross. I mean what do you see? You see Jesus at the seat of honor, stepping down, taking out his outer, outer garment, laying it aside, getting on his knees, voluntarily cleaning his disciples at his own expense. The very next day, you see Jesus, God, the Son, who's come down, stripped of his outer garments, dying on a cross that through his blood we may be made clean at his expense. Of course, Peter in this passage doesn't get it, right? <laughs> he doesn't fully know what's going on. And so when Jesus goes to clean his feet, Peter's like, whoa, 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 Jesus, nah, nah, no way I'm letting you do that. Like, there's no way. Like, get away. Like, you, you're, not, you're not cleaning my feet. And, uh, now, Peter, he, like, he doesn't fully get the, the meaning of all this, and Jesus says that, right? You don't understand what I'm doing. Later you will understand. But Peter, part of what might be causing Peter not to to capture what's going on here is that Peter doesn't recognize how bad that he doesn't just need a a Messiah who's going to clean his feet, but he he needs a Savior who's going to die for his sins. And he's not fully aware of how bad he needs the cleaning that Jesus is offering. And Jesus finally says to him, like, if you don't let me do this. You're going to have no share with me. You're going to have no part to do. You can't have anything to do with me. And then Peter is like, oh, well, like that's if that's what's at stake, then I want you more than anything else. So why don't you just not only start with my feet, but like give me an entire bath. And Jesus is like, that's just weird, right? Like that's not necessary. <laughs> so he helps him see, all right, that's not really, I just need to wash your feet. And so Peter lets him wash his feet, all right? Friends, here, here's the thing. The, what we see and what Jesus does here is we get at least a picture of two things. I mean, there's probably more that you could flesh out here for sake of time. Just two ways that, that, uh, that we see the power of Jesus' great, uh, uh, greatness, the, the life-changing power of his greatness. The first is this, that through his service, we are made clean. I just talked about that. That through his service, we are made clean. And when you, like Peter, recognize your need for Jesus' death on your behalf, that Jesus is cleansing of you, and you put your trust in him alone for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are clean and you have share with Jesus. You are accepted by Jesus. You are no longer condemned for your sin. You're welcomed into the family of God. Your sin, your shame, your guilt does not stand between you and God any longer. You are made clean. By what Jesus did on the cross for you. When you recognize your need and you accept his service for you on your behalf, you're clean. It's amazing. It's life-changing. Eternity-changing. Eternity-changing. Someone had to pay for your sins, friends. Someone had to pay for mine. And it's either going to be me, it's going to be you, or we can spend all of our lives trying to get the people who have done wrong to us to pay for them and the way that they messed us up and things we've done, we can try to get them to pay for it, but it's just going to be a fruitless endeavor. But here is God of the universe saying, I've got it. I'm going to take the hit. I choose. I volunteer. I'm going to take the blame. I'm going to pay for your sins in your place so that you could be declared not guilty, even though you are guilty. You can be declared not condemned, even though you should be condemned, because he was condemned on your behalf. This is our great God. This is the gospel. This is what he's done for us. And because of it, we can be made clean. But the second thing that Jesus has done through his death on our behalf, through his cleansing, is that he not only has set us free from guilt and sin and been able to be forgiven by God, but he also has given us the power to be like him, the power to serve like him and to love like him, the power to follow him. Because here's the thing, and this is beautiful and this is great news, right? Because if Jesus was simply just our model, If the love of Jesus, and we hear him say, because how I've loved you, you should love one another, if all we get is his example, then it's beautiful and it's inspirational, right? But it's also damning, isn't it? Isn't it disheartening? Isn't it crushing? Because we know, I mean, I know, I can never live up to that. Not in my own power, there's no way I could love like that. Maybe every so often, sort of, kind of, I can choose to put other people ahead of myself. To live an entire life that's that all the time, no way in the world. But again, you have the beauty of what Christ has done for us here. It's not only has he wiped us clean of our sin, but he has also given us through his death the very power His very power to love and live and serve like he has loved and lived and served. I love Titus chapter 3. Let me read this, 3 through 8. This is what it says. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Like that's what we're, we are like. That's not love. That's not loving like Jesus called us to love. That's the opposite. I think hating and being hated by one another is exactly the opposite of that. But then it says, but, verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared in Jesus, he saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And then hear this. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things, insist on believing these things, so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to what? To good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Do you hear it, friends? See, Jesus has saved us. He's justified us according to his mercy and his grace. We are declared not guilty. We are made clean. But in the cleaning, in the pouring on, what he pours into us is not just like saving justifying guilt-ridding coverage for our sin. But he also pours in us the the Holy Spirit that God Himself comes to live inside of us that Jesus gives him Himself, His Spirit in us. And that we were made new. We're regenerated. We become new people who have new abilities that we did not have apart from Christ. That in Jesus' death for us and his washing of us, we are given the Holy Spirit so that we have the power. We are enabled to love like he loves. To serve like he serves. So that when he calls us to do love like he's loved us, it's not this just crushing call it we can never live up to. He's like, no, no, I've given you everything you need to do that. You have know, got you got my spirit within you. This is not about I've saved you now you try really hard to live up to me. It's like I've saved you and I've given you everything you need. Let me live this out in you. you you just you just say, yes, I've given you the power. You don't have to come up with the power. I've given you the power to do this. As that's life changing power of his greatness, of the greatness by which we have been served by Jesus Christ. Do you see it? Do you see him serving you like this? When we think about Jesus, often if you're like me, like I look up and I say, God, what are you like? How would you do this? But friends, here we see that we look down. (laughs) We look down to talk to him. We say, Jesus, what are you doing at my feet? What are you doing at my feet? What are you doing serving me in this way? What are you doing washing me to this degree? You're serving me to this degree. What are you doing down there? When we do look up to talk to him, we see him hanging on the cross, beaten and bloodied, hanging there for us. What are you doing up there, Jesus? What are you doing? How are you doing this for me? What, you to, I don't deserve this. How could you possibly do this for me, for me? This is our God. This is our God. He loves you. He volunteered to put your interests ahead of his own, to love you in this degree. Having loved us, he then calls us to follow his example and calls us in to follow his greatness. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. And friends, the word here that he starts this off with, verse 14, the word if. If I, your teacher, Lord and teacher, have done this for you. like that That's the word that I'm hoping will sit with you. <laughs> That you will say this repeatedly this week and beyond, because this word "if" is like this dawning on you word. <laughs> it's this word where you just you're like, okay, wait, wait, a, wait a second. If my God would do this for me, like if, like, and it clicks with you, like your eyes glisten, right when he, when it's coming home to you, like you are moved. you're like, hey, wait, okay. <laughs> wait a second, if. If he would do this for me, are you kidding? He would do this for me? If he would do this for me, then of course I will go do it for him and for others. Many of us can buy into the, 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 the terrible lie that in order for God to accept you, you've got to run around serving and doing all these good things and get him to, let, you know, to, to where you earn his acceptance and that he listens to your prayers. For that is not what you see in Jesus. When we buy into that idea that you, you serve others to get God to serve you, you've bought into a whole paradigm that says, hey, I, okay, I, I serve others in order to serve me. That all of the service that you do is service, actually self-service is just indirect. It just goes through one person to come back to you. That's not true service. But here with what Jesus has done for us, We're actually enabled to serve others, not as a way to serve yourself. Because Jesus has served us to this degree. He served us before we've done anything or could do anything to deserve it. He did it full of grace. He did it full of mercy. And when we respond to his service in this way, then we say, Okay, God, in light of how you've served me, I'm now compelled to go serve others. And I will serve them as a way to serve them not as a way to serve them so that then they serve me or you, God, serve me, but because of how you have already served. Friends, that's true service, whereas Jesus says, that's true greatness. And Jesus calls us in, enables us, and empowers us to live a truly great life as he modeled for us because of the way that he served us. Um. So this message is is timely, right? Because uh, we're headed into headed into this merger, and um, before you, the last few weeks, we've you know put the uh, ministry menu, and we've put opportunities before you about serving, and we've been calling y'all to pray about giving financially, and all of that stuff, and um, we are like really want to invite you. <laughs> To take that seriously. But we also want you to come at it biblically, in light of the gospel. That you don't serve in order to get something from God or to get approval from other people. You know, so you check the box. I'm serving on Sunday, so everybody at Midtown thinks that I'm a good person. That's not what it's about at all. At all. Now, what do we say? We are a family loved and served by God and what? Compelled to love and serve Austin with God. Why are we compelled? Because God has loved and served us. In light of what Jesus has done for us, in light of this that we've been talking about, we are then moved. If, 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 Father, if, Jesus, you would love me in this way, oh man, how could I not go and love others? If you would love me like this and have empowered me to do so, man, of course I want to go serve others in gratitude and joy in light of how I've been served. Friends, I, I'd ask that you, be, you really be serious about praying, about serving as a part of our church. But I also want to be very clear that you are not at all limited to serving God and our church family and our community by just what's on that menu. The stuff that's on that menu are things that we really do need. And that there are also things that can be great first steps for you or fundamentals for you. Of course, yeah, I can show up on Sundays and greet people. Yeah. 30 extra minutes of my day every other week? (laughs) Okay. In light of the cross? Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't even need to pray about that. I'm going to do that to serve in our children's ministry two times at a, every six weeks, to love kids and teach them about Jesus, to love our church family in that way, two weeks on, four weeks off, two weeks back on. Yeah, I mean, is that sacrificial? Absolutely. Especially if kids aren't your thing. <laughs> but can you do that? Man, look to the cross, look to Jesus down at your feet. Let him compel you. I volunteer. You volunteered to die for me, Jesus. I volunteer to tell, to love kids and tell them about you. This last year, we've had awesome people serving our children's ministry. And it been such a blessing to our church, especially to all of us who have kids. I think personally with Camp and Enoch, my two sons, Barry and Nolan and Ellie and James and others that have served in there have had just a great impact. My kids love church. They were even saying it this morning. They were like, Dad, do we get to go see Midtown Friends today? Like, yes. And they get excited about that. My two boys, my two boys trusted in Jesus this year. My two boys came to know Jesus this year. Our volunteers in our children's ministry had a gigantic role in that. To have other adults in their life who love them and love Jesus and teach them about Jesus. Oh my goodness, that's such a big deal. Friends, let's serve each other. Jesus says, you love one another as I have loved you. That's how people are going to know you're my disciples. People are going to connect you to me by how you love each other. Let us love each other. Greeting, serving, bringing food, cleaning dishes, setting up, tearing down, playing in the worship band, leading us in this way, picking up the trailer, bringing back the trailer. Jeremy served us. I mean, on and on, we've had people who are serving our church in so great ways. And it gets tired and it gets exhausting. But, friends, love is this. Love is voluntary, volunteering to put the needs of others ahead of yourself as you're compelled by Jesus, the God of the universe, who did that for you. Man, let's respond. And giving, friends, giving too. That we would give financially, sacrificially, with the money that God's entrusted to us, that we would turn around and give that freely back to to God through supporting the ministry of a church that allow us to have the money to rent spaces, to be able to pay my salary so I can give all my time to equipping you guys for the work of the ministry and shepherding and loving you all to enable ministry in our community, to get the gospel out to people on our campus and in Haiti and across the world. We support missionary endeavors and on and on and on. The work that is able to happen as a result of y'all's giving is powerful. And it's an act of service, and we do it because he who was rich became poor on our behalf so that through his poverty we who are poor may be made rich, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Again, Jesus' love for us compels us to give sacrificially. The generosity of our God moves us to be generously. Let us respond. Today, we're going to wrap up by taking communion. And as we enter into this time of worship in response to what Jesus has done for us in song, it's also an opportunity for you to come up when you feel led and take a cup and take the bread. And Remember Jesus' body broken for you. The greatest act of service, that you would be made clean. That the Holy Spirit, God himself, would come to dwell with you. See, again, in context, all of this stuff took place at, over the dinner of the Lord's Supper. It was in that, as in Luke chapter 22, again, right when the fight, right, and I can't tell if it was right after the fight broke out or right before the fight broke out. But in that same time, Jesus says these words, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, The cup that is poured out for you as the new covenant, in my blood, friends, as you hold the bread and you hold the cup, let it dawn on you. God in the universe loves you to this extent and has served you in this way. Rejoice. Rejoice and be compelled. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you so much for volunteering to die in our place, to wash us clean to pour out your spirit on us, that we may have life in you, the promise of uh, communion with you, and the power of you to live out what you call us to do. May we love like you love, and may people, this church family, and our onlooking community, get a picture of what you are like, by how we serve with our time and with our talents, Lord, and how we give generously of our treasures for your kingdom in light of how you've served us.